Good morning. As you find your seat again, I hope you all have been looking forward to each sermon in this series as I have. And as we continue to worship together, I invite you to open your Bible or your app and engage in the scripture with us. We'll start in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. Leah, good morning again, church. We're talking today about pure-heartedness and uh, strength for the journey ahead. Uh, before I pray and get us started, I will tell you I just came back this morning from being a leader at our uh, tween winter camp. We had over 50 fourth and fifth graders, and uh, I learned four things in just 48 hours with 50 10 and 11-year-olds. Number one, um, 10, 11-year-old boys never tire of water bottle flips. And if you need to know what that is, just look it up on YouTube, but hours and hours and hours of water bottle flips. Number two, do not underestimate how messy, and for that matter, smelly, a cabin can become in 24 hours with a group of boys. It's unbelievable. Number three, new information. I'm over 40 years old. I'm over the hill. Dabbing is so last week. And so instead, at the dance party last night, the boys said, let's just do this. <laughs> it's a thing now. It was last night. And number four, I want to say this. In all seriousness, driving back today, even with a 16-year-old from this congregation who's playing drums on the east side this morning to lead worship, and after being a cabin leader with these 10, 11-year-old boys, watching this camp full of kids worship God, I will tell you, friends, the future of our faith is bright. And do not believe when people tell you the church is dying because the faith of the little ones is strong. And so this church remains ultrally committed to supporting our youngest disciples to actually see God. And when we come to the text this morning, realizing that the pure in heart comes easy to our children, we all have something to learn. Parents in the room, very challenging. Older parents in the room, challenging. Some of us that are single, uh, we don't have children of our own, we don't, we're not in relationship with children. I guarantee there's, there's young people in your life, nieces, nephews, friends, they have something to teach us. And God is calling us through the scriptures this morning in this Can You See It series. Today we arrive at this very challenging text that they all have been. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones that get to see God. We pray with me and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for uh, this morning. We thank you for the baptisms that happened on the patio. We thank you for the word professed in your community. We ask that you would open us up. Open our eyes, our ears, and mostly our hearts. Lord, you spoke these words 2,000 years ago in the midst of occupied Israel. And, and Father, as challenging as the words were uh, to say through your son then, you're saying them again to us today in the midst of very challenging times. We pray that this text would enliven and embolden our faith journeys. Father, thank you for the chance to gather with your scriptures this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. And you see if you've got your bulletin notes there, kind of a subtitle, a.k.a. don't be broken, don't be bitter, we want to see God. We don't want to be bitter, we don't want to be broken. We want to see something 
in God. And how will we see it? We'll see it, says Jesus, with our pure hearts. Uh, many of you know, so a lot of my story is uh, growing up as a fisherman, a lot of time on the sea. And as a young man, I, you know, I was kind of the least qualified as a fishing guide. So I always had, when I was working as a fisherman in British Columbia, I always had kind of the hand-me-down, the smallest boat. There was one boat on the dock that was the nicest boat. It was a 30-footer. It was a lures with a flying bridge and an enclosed cabin. And it was sometimes difficult to, to, to navigate, quite frankly. And in these days, it was just a compass and a depth sounder. No other GPS or highfalutin apps and all. This was old school. This is old salty dogs. And, and one day, my dad said, hey, Scott, you're going to take the lures out. It's the name of the boat. You're going to take customers out in the 30-footer. In the densest fog we had seen all summer. I mean, literally, it was like pea soup. And when the fog is so thick, it, it looks something like this. For those in the room right now, you see, you can't quite tell where the water ends and the sky begins. It was right down on the deck. And I'm navigating this big boat feeling quite fearful, actually, and trying to portray myself as having a lot of confidence because we've been taught, fake it till you make it, right? So it's like, if I, as long as I'm, you know, I'm like, 13, 14 years old, but as long as we act with external confidence, we're like, well, we'll be fine. Fake it till you make it because we've been raised. It's your external actions that kind of show people who you are. And so I'm like running this boat. I'm trying to fake it that I have confidence. I can't see anything. The fog is so thick, it's condensating on the outside of the windshield. It's condensating on the inside of the windshield. I'm wiping the inside. The wiper's going on the outside. I can't see anything. What do I, what do I got to do? I'm looking. I need a change of perspective. So literally, I'm, I'm scared. I can hear boats. There's real danger out here. There really is. There's rocks that can sink your boats. We have to cross a shipping lane where cruise ships and huge freighters come through. I know that's happening. There's drift in the water. If you're not watching the water, they'll take your engine out. Real danger existed. And, and so I, I kind of stopped the boat. I kind of collected my wits, still kind of faking it. Yeah, we, we do this all the time, I say. You know, and I climb the, the, the bridge, it's called, and I stand on top of the boat. And when I'm on top of the boat, I get a different point of view. And what I realize is on the top of the boat, it, it's very cold, actually, because you're not, you're not protected anymore. But from on top of the boat, uh, not protected from the fog, not protected from the wind, my vantage point changes. And I get up a little bit higher, and I can see a little bit better. And in time, as the sun breaks, the fog starts to clear. A compass up there, we get to where we're going. What's the point? The point is, friends, it is hard to navigate when we can't see. And for many of us, as we engage the scriptures this morning, we feel like we're in foggy, hard-to-navigate times. But Christ is calling us to this, to this journey of a pure heart, and it would become the impetus to seeing differently. The impetus is the change of you. The change of you happens how? In this heart change. Now, but to talk about the heart, it's challenging because we need to recognize that as scientists are recognizing now that the heart has its own intelligence that in some ways is deeper than the mind. Think about when we were in the womb. It was our heart formed first, more than before our brain. And the heart is more than just a pump. Research in the past two decades has shown that the heart has an information processing center. The heart does. An information processing center that can learn and remember and act independently of the cranial brain. And the heart can actually send, scientists are learning, messages to the amygdala. The heart can actually sense what's going on and help a body look and see differently. 
The heart, it turns out, is essential to how we process information. It's amazing. Like body premonition, your heart can feel these things. There is importance in our heart. It seems countercultural because we've been raised in a postmodern context that tells it's all about our brain. But Jesus understood it, and so Christ says the heart is where to begin. He doesn't say, blessed here in Matthew 5, 8, your Bibles are open. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in speech. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in ten. He doesn't, definitely doesn't say, blessed are the pure in actions. The call to mind here is for us to be intentional. The blessed ones are the pure in heart. Because Jesus says, start with your inside, your inside state of heart, not your outside actions. He takes us inside first. And friends, we live in this foggy time. You're like, man, I want, I want to talk about refugees. I want to talk about the rights of the unborn. I want to talk about the courts. I want to talk about what's going on in the world. I want to talk about what's going on in our city. We'll talk about it all. But friends, sometimes we kind of put ethics in the church right now above the heart or doctrines above the heart or theology above the heart or outward behaviors as I was raised above the heart, not with Jesus. He says, if you get the heart right, everything else will follow. Get the heart right, says Christ, and everything else will follow. And so he says to us in Matthew 5, 8 today, this call, this is our big idea, the call of the pure heart is the call to action to live life from the center of who God made us to be. And in doing so, we get a new point of view for the road ahead. So let's begin, because those are audacious words, super tricky to preach in the midst of what feel like very dangerous and foggy times. But Jesus is calling us this morning First things first, guard your heart. Get pure in your heart. Let's look at the first point of your outline. Your first call to action, pursue purity of the heart. Now in the ancient Greek, the word for heart was this word cardia. And it was known really along with your guts and your liver for the ancient, uh, ancient world. Your, your, your core was the, the center point of your intellect and your conscience. It was the center. And of course, we, we flipped that since the enlightenment. We've made it more about our mind. It was more about what you think about. But in the ancient world, they understood that our core was really our heart. And Jesus seems to be saying here that when you're clear in your center, you'll, you'll be blessed. When you have this, this, this focus from the inside out, Jesus is saying, that's where the blessing comes. Not your external actions, not, not your doctrines. No, Jesus says, I want to start with your heart. Now the problem, historically, for the church, they would come to Matthew 8 and they would preach purity of actions. Many of us, we were given a, a steady diet of this when we were raised, right? Like when we were raised, we were purity of heart. Oh man, I'm, I'm in Sunday school again. And there's a flannel graph. And I'm given this whole list of things not to do. I mean, the, Greek word, the Greeks had a word for this, apatheia. It meant a freedom from passion. A freedom by saying no. is really no freedom at all. I don't know about you. The people who raised me did the best they could. But I was raised in a context that was given a steady diet of a, uh, let's call it a religion of subtraction. I know, they said to us as young people, you will be known for what you're against. Do not, was, was the, what was spoken over us. Do not have relationships with the opposite sex. Do not drink. Do not Smoke tobacco. We didn't even think about smoking other stuff in those days. Do not, you know, do not. I mean, at one point, they gathered us in a room, and there was this, this several-hour presentation about the music we were listening to. Uh, don't do this. Don't do this. And no matter what you do, do not dance. 
Now, if you saw me dance, you're like, well, that's really kind of a blessing for everyone. But, you know, the point was, like, we were given this, this religion of subtraction. And the purity was kind of, you know, kind of the notion that if we can live life without ever making a mistake and just kind of pull everything else out of our life, somehow this little essence might remain. It's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a radical faith of addition, not this religion of subtraction. Jesus is saying, let me build into you from the very core of how I've made you because I made your heart first. And if you believe that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, if you believe that you were made in God's image, then maybe you need to believe that God gave you his heart. And so when we live from our center point, we're living from this inside-out perspective, what Augustine would later call the devotion of a simple heart. The simple heart living is what Jesus would unpack in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. You can review it on your one, 18 verses where Jesus says, your purity is not your external behavior. Be careful, says Jesus in Matthew 6, not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Purity is not the outward show. Purity is the inward focused. And so this spirituality of addition that Christ is calling us to, he says, blessed are you when you're focused on me. Start at your core and move out from there. Be careful in Matthew, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, of how you give that they might see you, of how you serve, of how you pray. It's not what the world sees to begin with. It's what you start with in your heart. Or as Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. One thing, one thing. Echoing what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, verse 39, I will give them a singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. We got to get our pure heart back. I mean, we, we just got to pursue this this inside-out love of Jesus where he's adding into us, adding into us, adding into us and keeping our eyes focused on Christ and letting that then go outward towards our doctrines, towards our, our beliefs. We're marching, we're advocating, we're writing on Facebook. It's good, but it's got to start with a pure heart focused on Jesus, more of Jesus and less of me. And I love this Jeremiah verse that the singleness of heart and action is promised. It will go well for them and for their children. Because for many of us, we want to leave a legacy to the next generation. And how do we leave a legacy to the next generation? We pursue this purity of hearts to have God first in our life. And people will see it. People see it. It's more powerful than, than your social media. It's more powerful than your... You know, you're, I, I, I get it. We've got to vote right now. We've got to speak up right now. We've got to do these things. And it's, it is good. But first and foremost, if we have a pure heart for Jesus, the world will see that. And then that's the impetus to whatever we're trying to get God to do in the world around us. So how do we, how do, we do it? How do we have this power to, to live like this, to live from our center? Guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. 
Add in, add in, add in more of Jesus from our sinner. Proverbs 4, the Proverbs are full of teaching about the heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23, I'll lift up for you. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. And this is about where if we're really honest with ourselves, many of us, just, we just start to tap out. I'm out. I'm out. I mean, who can do this? I'm not, I'm not pure. I've not willed the one thing. I mean, I'm, it's hard to even get into church, and, and, and life is busy, and, and it's distraction, and, and there's so much going on. How do, we, how do we do this? Well, this is where the good news of the gospel really takes up center stage. We don't have to do anything other than receive the one thing from Christ. He says, I will give you a new heart. I mean, if you saw these two little ones out in the baptism this morning, that's what they're saying. I want Jesus to be my one thing. And the call of the gospel is this. When we say yes to Jesus, he gives us a new heart. So we don't have to earn our way. We don't have to give a certain way or show up in a certain way or be defined by our external actions. When we say yes to Jesus, Jesus gives us this new heart. It sounds wonderful. It's so difficult. I was researching this this week and this notion of heart transplant. Some of you probably know this. I didn't know this. That for many people that receive a heart transplant here on earth, like they literally get someone else's heart in their chest, the the reality is that... um, the risk of rejection never fully goes away for them. Because this heart has different DNA than the human, their their body will fight off that heart for the rest of their life because the DNA is a little bit different. So even if the body needs a new heart the rest of its life, these people have to take this immunosuppressive drugs to get their body to accept the new heart that beats in their chest. So of course this is hard. Christ saying, I want to give you a new heart. And each and every day, we've got to receive it. I've got to seek to live into it and seek to try to add more of Jesus from the sinner and not just trying to be good on our own. Every single day, we've got to receive it. Because this is kind of your theological perspective of the morning, but this is the reality. As Christ followers, we get what's called imputed righteousness. And imputed is just a synonym for attributed. We get the very righteousness of Christ. This is, what, this is what we know in the gospel. When we say yes to Jesus, we actually get his righteousness credited to us. When we repent, Jesus' heart then lives in us. It's amazing. I mean, what, what an audacious thing. And so purity is not, it's not legalism. It's just the road that we walk each and every day towards trying to be people of the one thing. People living from the center, people of the pure heart, just walking, singing. You've heard the song, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. I mean, how, do we even, how do we even sing those words? They're audacious. Christ says, you'll sing them because I'm singing them for you. I've died for you. You have my heart living in your chest. And so your job is each and every day to simply say, Yes, and receive this gift of the pure heart of Christ, and may that call from the middle living change you. You know, there's this study in the Old Testament of two different hearts. I've been really following recently the life of David as a contrast to the life of Saul. 
Now, the life of David is super interesting for me because, as Eugene Peterson points out in his book I've been reading and just been so encouraging, it's called The Leap Over a Wall. We know more about David in the scriptures than any other human. And what's interesting about David when you think about First and Second Samuel and also the Psalms is that we know all these things about his life and nothing actually miraculous happens with David's life. And yet God says, he's a man after my own heart. But the first king Israel had, Saul, well, he looked the part. In 1 Samuel, it tells us that Saul was about a foot taller than the rest of Israel. He looked, he was tall. He was, he was a good-looking dude. He kind of had those kingly looks. It says that in the scriptures. He had the appearance of a king. But the problem with Saul was when things didn't turn out as he was expecting, he started to rush to action. Saul didn't wait well. And so in 1 Samuel, he's waiting for the ark of the Lord to show up. He's waiting for the priest. And he just says, to heck with it. Like, I've got to improvise. I'm tall. I'm good looking. And my name is King Saul. And he, he makes his own offering. And he makes this giant mistake because he rushes to action without waiting for God to show up. That's heart number one. It's King Saul heart trying to just rush around and just kind of getting righteousness on his own, but not King David, not heart number two. He was humble, and he was pure, and he made all sorts of mistakes. Read the scriptures. They're full of them. Adultery, check. Murderer, check. And yet in the midst of that, he knew he needed God to give him a new heart. And that becomes this amazing thing in the scriptures. There's this paradox of purity. That if you think you're pure, and if you think you've arrived, and you think the way that you give, the way that you serve, the way that you're viewing whatever's going on in the world, when you start to kind of arrive on your own without God, you've lost this pure heart. But when your life is modeled more like King David, when you're, when you're aware of your very brokenness, who in Psalm 51, David says, God, can you create in me a clean heart? Can you give me clean hands? God says, that's the kind of heart that I'm after. Those are the pure-hearted that see their need. And so they receive this imputed righteousness. Blessed are the pure hearts. This is the call of purity Christ calls us towards. And then the promise we have is our second point of our outline. That with these lives centered on an addition of more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus, we get this promised outcome that, that they will see God, that we will see God. That when we're living from the center, that, that we'll start to see God, not with, the, not with our eyes, but with the eyes of our heart. It's less like you'll see God's body as we did when Jesus was, was resurrected and more of like, oh, I see the point. I now can see things more clearly because, because of this pure heart. I look at the world differently. I can see what God's doing in, in the world, and though it's so messy, my hope is not in the world. My hope is not in a politician. My hope is not in whatever march. My hope is in Christ alone. And from that place, I will step into all sorts of activism, but it's got to be for Jesus first. You will see God, an interesting question. Who actually sees God in the scriptures? Like, huh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. Adam and Eve, it says they walked with God. Didn't they kind of see God? And Moses, it says that he used to talk with God. And didn't Elijah or Elisha, one of them, I always get that confused, didn't they kind of see God? No, it actually says in the scriptures uh, 
that, that no one, Exodus 33.20, God says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. First John says the same thing. No one has seen the Father but through Christ. And so when you actually think about what Moses experienced with God, it happens in Exodus 33. Behold, there's a place by me, says God, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until you have passed by, and then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. But since the beginning, we've been asking this question, right? I mean, we ask this question, God, I want to see you. Can I see you? Because if I can see you, it'll change my vantage point. If I see you, then I'll have more hope in what's going on. God, can I see you? I want to see you. God says, when you have a pure heart, you will begin to see me. Not by your acts of purity, but your access given with a new heart. And this is what Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel talk about. This is Ezekiel 36, where we get this new heart and allows us access to see God. At Ezekiel 36, we have this slide where it talks about we receive a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's beautiful. And for many of us, this is the journey towards faith. God, take my hard heart. Take my heart of stone. And today, Lord Jesus, give me your heart. A pure heart. One I didn't earn. One that can only be received by you. And Father, I confess when I start to get out ahead of myself and, and, and really vocal about whatever's going on in the world, I, I know, God, that you've got to give me your heart each and every day. I can't earn it. I've got to receive it. I, I can't work for it. I've got to just say yes for it. This is the paradox of purity, God. I want to be receiving your heart every single day. And so we have this choice to make, living from our center, trying to maintain this addition of more Jesus in our life that keeps our eyes focused on him so that we can live this life of purity. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. So we will bear witness by the status of our heart. We've really got to protect, as God's people, the status of our heart. And again, if you feel unqualified this morning, like, man, I, I was just yelling at my kids in, in, the, you know, in the parking lot. So it's like, I'm sunk before we even get you know, out of Shorewood High School. The reality is, John 15, John 15, what did Jesus say? Who, who can have this kind of heart? Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You're clean. You got the new heart. You've got the imputed righteousness. Now just follow me and be aware of your brokenness, but continue to move, says Jesus, from your sinner and get that new vantage point. And so a couple of teaching points here because I feel pretty strongly about a couple of these things. I want to be a church of pure hearts with this different vantage point for the road ahead. And the first thing that I want us to be, church, that I'm really worried about as we talk about guarding our hearts, is we can't stay broken. We can't stay broken. 
If we acknowledge our brokenness and we've kind of embraced the paradox of purity and we've come to Jesus on our knees and we've asked for God to live inside of us, we have to receive that new power, his new beating heart in our chest every day. We can't stay broken. For when we stay broken, it's saying, God, we're unwilling to accept your new heart. I'm more comfortable in my brokenness. I'm more comfortable in my addiction. I'm more comfortable in my laziness. I'm more comfortable in my dysfunctional marriage. I'm I'm just comfortable here. And it's really in vogue to stay broken. Jesus doesn't call us to stay broken. He calls us to be pure-hearted. He says, there you'll see me. So don't stay broken. My wife showed me a quote this week by this great gal, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was actually a psychiatrist, and she started the hospice movement in the 60s and 70s, in the stages of death. And she talks about a couple of quotes I was going to share with you. There's no joy, says Kubler-Ross, without hardship. If not for death, would we appreciate life? If not for hate, would we know the ultimate goal is love? At these moments, you can either hold on to negativity and look for blame, or you can choose to heal and keep on loving. She worked with hospice patients, teaching them how to die well. In the midst of situations that don't always turn out as we expect, we can still choose to have hope and to have a healing of our pure-heartedness. She wrote this, and I loved it so much, I gave it for you guys in your notes to take home. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat known suffering, known struggle, known loss, known brokenness, and they have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation and a sensitivity and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion and gentleness and a deep loving concern. And then she says this, and it's so good. Beautiful people do not just happen. And if we're staying in places of broken, we're stuck fixating on what we're not. Jesus is saying, you're my people. I've given you my new heart. So be aware of your brokenness, but don't stay broken. I want to see you alive with this pure-hearted focus. We can do that in a number of ways, but friends, I want to lift up three quickly here before we kind of talk about the next point. First, we want to be people and a church of pure-hearted ones following God's word. Because when you read the word, you just, you're just you reminded of this call to be pure-hearted. In 1 John 1, the writer, John, says this, if we say we have no sin, we lie. We're clean on the outside, basically, and not on the inside. But in the very next chapter, 1 John 2, the writer, John, says this, but if Christ is in us, we'll be made new. And so when we study God's word on Tuesday morning or Thursday afternoon or on Saturday, when we study with a spouse or a friend or a roommate or a young life kid or a teacher, when we open up the scriptures together, we say, what did you see? And we were reminded of the call to not stay broken. God wants to do a work on our hearts. Secondly, this kind of commands and kind of hope not to stay broken is remember that Jesus every day asks us to give him that day alone. You know, this cheesy little, you know, cliche phrase, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, or, you know, how do we eat the elephant? Well, one bite at a time. But the thing is, for many friends of mine, it's like they, they know where they're stuck in their faith, and they can so clearly identify this place where they want to get to of more pure-heartedness and more seeing God, and they, they just feel like there's a chasm. Jesus is telling you, give me today. 
That's all I can do, says Jesus, is be your new heart today. And if today ends up being a rotten day, then go to bed and wake up tomorrow and ask for it to get again. That's all we can do. And the third thing is we're trying to live out of this pure-heartedness and we don't want to stay in our brokenness is, is just to continue to pray, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. And remember that broken hearts are made whole in Christ. We're not called to think we're whole. We're not called to think we have all the answers. We're called to be humble people trying to receive the heart of Christ each and every day. So God, break my heart with what breaks yours. And there's a lot going on in the world right now that is absolutely breaking God's heart. Be awake to that. See it. But ask God for a pure heart that teaches you how to engage the world around you. We do not want to stay broken. And the second thing I'm really worried about us as a church, friends, if we're going to guard our hearts, it's the second thing I really want to lift up to you. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. Because there's a lot to be bitter about. And when we have a spirit of bitterness, we're unable to receive God's new heart, this pure-hearted living each and every day. What's interesting here is, blessed are the pure heart, for they will see God. The verb tense of these two words, will see, is something in the Greek, the original language, called future middle indicative. Why does this matter? It means it is going to happen in the future. It is a promise spoken over those. As they pursue living from the center of the pure heart, Jesus says, it's going to happen. You're going to see me. And the reality is humans, we can only, we can only behold so much. And you know, we, we become what we behold so often. We become what we behold. And we just want to see the worst right now in the world. We just want to see you know, the, the people that we're so unaligned with on social media. We want to see all the things we're angry about. It's actually causing a lot of bitterness in the people of God. Be awake. Be concerned. Be aware. Do not become bitter. Because bitterness cuts us off from this, this spirit of purity that Christ is calling us to in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you. When you have a pure heart, we don't want to stay broken. We don't want to stay bitter. We want to guard our hearts or this place of purity. And this becomes the new vantage point for the new life of Christ. Job 42.5 says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. This is where we get to see God. This is where the vantage point starts to change where our eyes are are off the brokenness, they're off the bitterness, and they're on the middle of who God created us to be. We want to have these pure hearts. So keep looking for God in your heart. And may your point of view change and continue to elevate above the situation. I know for many of us in the room, it's never felt so bad. Friends, the church has been through this. It's been through rough times. The church in America... And think of world wars and civil wars and slavery and all sorts of battles where the church had to continue to focus on the pure-hearted call of Christ in us. And I'm not advocating to head out to the hills and wait anything out. I'm just saying in all that we do, Christ is calling us to live from our center point. When we're living from the pure heart, that's where we get to see God. And so I just came back from being around a bunch of really pure-hearted little humans. A lot of 
stinky but wonderful 10 and 11-year-old boys. And we had this cabin full of boys. And, you know, every morning and evening we would do a club and sing songs about Jesus. These kids were just singing their heart out. Some of your kids are there still. They're on their way back. And there's purity there. And then we would gather the boys in, in the cabin time. We would sit down on the ground and everyone just kind of talking about their life. And these little boys, some of them very uncomfortable and unfamiliar with church, some of them been in church their whole life, but talking about who they were made to be from God. Pure hearts. And, you know, my own son is there. And so I'm telling all these boys about, about the love that God has for them. I'm looking at one, and I'm like, you're my boy. Like, I went to bed last night, and I just wanted to, like, go crawl in his bunk and, like, crawl on top of his sleeping bag. I'm like, that would probably be creepy for him. So I just called out, like, I love you. Like, I see you. You're so good. You know, so much goodness. And the reality is that your father, God, he's so much better than any kind of earthly love could ever know. Your father, God, gave you a heart before a brain. And he gave you the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, to give you a new heart that you don't have to earn. You get to just receive and say yes. And Jesus wants you to be mindful this morning. He sees you. He knows you. He says, blessed are you in the purity of your hearts. May your vantage point change and you see him in the midst of all that's going on in the world. That's our hope in Christ alone. Will you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for the reminder from Scripture, uh, the countercultural call to guard our center point. And Lord, in a world that wants to judge and label us by the likes that we make on social media, by our way we voted, by our beliefs in certain issues, Lord, though those things matter, you call us in the Scriptures to be pure-hearted, to be living right from the middle of this say yes to Jesus every day perspective. You call us out of the fog. You call us to see you in the midst of the journey. You call us to, to be defined not by what we're against. You're calling us still. Receive this new heart. You told us very clearly we could never earn it. You told us we could never ascend to it. You told us we would never see God by our own strength, and you're reminding us this morning the ability to see you starts with a pure heart. And so we're unworthy, but we're willing. And we're incapable, but Lord, we're hoping and willing to say, yes, today is the only chance I get. Yes, Jesus. Give us this encouragement to live from the very middle of who you made us to be. And from that pure heartedness, may it change the way we do relationship and the way we look at the world, the way we go to work, the way we stay home. Father, give us pure hearts. We want to be more like you. We want to see you. In your name we pray, amen. And response this morning, we've got these cards as you came in. It says, I want to see. And the band is going to give you 30 or 45 seconds of just a little bit of music before we sing to just fill this out. And what we're going to do with these over the next three weeks as this series ends is we're going to just fill out what we want to see in the kingdom of God. And so this will be anonymous. But like when you say, God, I want to see blank, 
Is it more of his presence in your life? Is it healing in relationships? Is it healing in our city, in our country? Whatever, like, God, what do you, what do you want to see when you think about your life of faith? And then when we leave here this morning, we're actually got these, these panels going as you leave the, or in the commons, and we're going to tape these up. And for the next three weeks, we want to just see what other people in our church want to, want to see with the kingdom of God. So take 45 seconds when you think, man, what do I want to see God do? Write it down here, and then we'll post it later. Don't worry about that now. But just take 30 to 45. What do you want to see God do? And, and then hold on to this, and we will end with song.